Amen. We want to continue this morning. Now, I said last week, you know, we're going to take a book a week most of the time, but sometimes a book is just too big, and it's going to take us longer than a week to, to cover it. And Genesis is one of those. Genesis is the foundation book. It lays the foundation for the rest of the Bible. And it's got a lot of things in Genesis that's carried on out through the gospel. And we're going to get into some of those this morning. And, and, and it starts in Genesis. It doesn't wait till the gospels. It doesn't wait over to Matthew to start. It starts right here. But, you know, I want you to be, I'll tell you ahead, next week we'll probably be in Exodus, so be reading in it. But uh, today, you know, I want you to read, read it and, and, and uh, maybe read something, maybe a translation that, that you can read easy. I use King James up here when I'm going verse by verse, and it's the, it's the ultimate, the gold standard to go by. But maybe something's a little easier for you to read, if it is for you, to get the whole picture. The whole picture of the book, not just we can go back and you could preach forever on verses and chapters, but to get the whole picture of it, maybe something that's easier for you to read, try that maybe. But uh, pray for us, and like I said, I want us to do this as a church. As a church doing this, not just the individual, you know what's coming up. Maybe not what's said, but we know where we're going to be in that on it. And so uh, just keep a praying for it. But you know, I said last week that, that uh, Genesis... It, 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 the message was, one of the messages was that man is always inadequate. Always inadequate. And, and Genesis is not concerned with, but how, but who did it? Not how it was done. We're not told a lot of that. But it, we're told who did it over and over and over again, all the way through it. So God is not concerned with us knowing how so much. We want to know sometimes, and we try to figure it out. But it's just too great for us to understand. So he didn't even go into that. He just said, he said, let there be light. And there was light. He didn't explain how he did it. And we couldn't understand it anyway. But those are some uh, uh, things. But now, one of the first things I want to mention here that's in uh, Genesis, and you should get excited about it. I, I did just study it. But Christ is in Genesis. Christ is already in Genesis. Now, it's just sort of a hint. It doesn't call him by name, but it's a hint there. Genesis 1 and 26 is the first place that it's mentioned, uh, that Christ is a mention there. And it says, uh, at Genesis 1 and 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. All right, that's telling us right then that God is more than one person. Amen. It tells us about the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Not that they're three individual distinct persons, but it's one with three distinct jobs and titles to do. Just like I have a mind, a body, and a spirit, but I'm one person. But I have a mind and a body and a spirit that works together, and that's the way God is. He's got distinct jobs for them. But right here, we're told that God is a triune God right here. From the very beginning in Genesis, he wanted that straight, that let us make man in our image. And so people that say that there's just a God and there's no son, they're wrong. It starts from Genesis and goes all the way through. Another place is Genesis 3 and 15. Flip over just a little bit. 3 and 15. This is where Eve is in the garden. The serpent has given her, gotten her to take the, the fruit. 
and, and, and he's talking to the serpent right here. Genesis 3 and 15. It says, and I will put enmity. Now, I didn't really know what enmity meant all these years. I've read it, but I looked it up. Now, this is what it means. It means a deep-rooted mutual hatred. A deep-rooted mutual hatred is what enmity means. Now, he says, I will put a deep-rooted hatred between thee, that's Satan, or the serpent, and the woman, that's Eve, and between thy seed, that's uh, the Satan's seed, the evil, and her seed, which will be Christ. And he says, and thou, sh uh, and it, it shall bruise thy head. It is Christ. That's her. He says, it will crush your head. That's what he's saying. It will crush your head, and thou shall bruise his heel. He said, you'll nip at his heel. You'll give him, try to give him trouble, but he's going to crush your head. And that's right there in Genesis, the hint of who Jesus, it's her seed that's going to come along. Genesis 18 and 1. This is where Abraham is standing at his tent. And it tells us he's standing at, or sitting at the tent. And it says, Genesis 18 and 1, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Merah. The Lord, the Lord appeared unto Abraham. It calls him that right there in the 18th chapter of Genesis. It doesn't say God. It says Lord. Lord is Christ here. And that that's mentions him here. And then another place is all through the life of Joseph. Joseph is a mirror of Christ. Joseph symbolizes Christ. He rose out of the pit. They thought he was dead. His brethren hated him. They tried to kill him. But he rose out of the pit. He uh, was dis. He was uh, thrown in prison. Uh, but then he rose to be on the throne. And he judged his people. And he forgave his people. He's a symbol of Christ all over. Joseph is the most symbolic person of Christ that's in the Bible is Joseph. He's as close as you can get to a Christ figure was Joseph here. And that's not a coincidence. That was written beforehand so that it would prophesy Christ's coming. It's why it's that way. Now, there's a lot of beginnings in Genesis. Of course, there's a lot of beginnings. There's the beginnings of marriage and family and a home. Look at right there. It's the first part of Genesis. God, He establishes the marriage. He establishes the home and the family. He knew that that was the foundation of society. He knew that. He, he knew that this was where it was uh, to start was here. Also in Genesis, it was the beginning of sin. Adam and Eve here. The beginning of sin. It was the beginning of murder. Cain killing Abel. The beginning of it. It was also the beginning of polygamy. Polygamy started in Genesis. More than one wife. The beginning of drunkenness. Noah got drunk. Drunkenness began in Genesis. The beginning of slavery. Slavery was instituted in Genesis and started. And the beginning of capital punishment was put into Genesis and started here. God knew what He was doing. He didn't wait till the 20th century to put some of this in. It began from the beginning of time. That ought to make you and me feel wonderful that God had this plan before the earth was even formed. That it didn't just fall into place because man got smart or he did evil. It was there from the very beginning there. Amen. You know, but man, 
Look at Genesis. If you'll notice, man is the main focus. Man is. The, not the universe. It only, there's only 31 verses on the whole creation of the universe. Only 31 verses. The rest of the whole book is about man. That shows us what God says. Don't worry about how. It's beyond you. You worry about who did it. And you worry about, I'm concerned with you, is what he's saying. I'm not concerned about Jupiter and Mars and the Milky Way. That's for your glory, for you to see and to enjoy. And maybe someday to travel between them, I don't know. But I'm concerned with you. You're my, my creation. He, he's not marveling over... To me, the universe is a, oh, an awesome creation. But God is saying, no, you are. You're my marvelous creation. Man is my, my masterpiece. That's just a sideline. That's for you. I made all that out there just for you. Doesn't that make you thrill that God loved us that much from the very beginning that He made all that just as a sideline to me and you? But me and you were the spotlight. We were the golden apple, the apple of His eye from the very beginning in Genesis. Amen. Amen. You know, but it says that we were created in His image, in His likeness. Now, when He says that, He's not talking about... You know, we say, what does God look like? I've said that, you said that, we've had kids ask, what does God look like? We say, well, uh, he probably looks, he looked like Jesus, Jesus looked like us, he probably looks like us. No, that's not what the Bible, he says we're created in his image and his likeness. They're not talking about body and soul, he's talking about the spirit. The spirit, what does the spirit look like? I don't know, do you know? Can we describe it? Can we see it? No, we can't. He says, and it tells us in the Bible, over in John 4 and 24, it tells us Jesus is speaking, and he said, God is a spirit, and you must worship him in spirit and in truth. We don't know what a spirit looks like, but our spirit is created like God. He may not look nothing like we do, but my spirit is like God's. That's where he said when we're created in spirit. And now, uh, all of God's creation, of all of his creation, Man is the only one that can do these three things. The only one that can do these three things. And then the first one is create. Create. You say, well, the animals can create a bird nest. No, that's instinct. They just do it. They don't know why. They just do it. You know, a beaver, man, he makes a fabulous beaver dam. You know, you say, how can it? Well, that's instinct. He didn't create it. He didn't sit back and think about how he's going to make that dam and fix it up there. He can't do it. That's instinct. He does that. Create. It's, animals don't have the creativity. Only man. You know, let me give you, a, for instance, back in 1993 when we had the snow blizzard, you know, and we had about two foot of snow. Well, I was out looking for my cows. I stomped out through there and tried to get to the back of the pasture. I couldn't find them. Finally, I found them out back behind the barn. Now, I want to tell you this. That, that they were raised on that farm now. They've never seen a blizzard in their life. They were huddled up in a complete circle. I'm talking about a perfect circle with their back end sticking out. Their head was in the center, and in the middle was the little cat. I like to fell over when I found them. They were shoulder to shoulder because that was keeping them warm. Their head was in the middle because that was blocking off the wind. I stood there and just my mouth fell open. I said, I cannot believe it. These stupid animals have never seen a blizzard in their life. They've never been in this condition in their life, and yet they know how to huddle up, put their head in the middle, and put their babies in the middle. 
That was an amazing picture right there. But now, that's not, that's instinct. That's instinct. They do it because God created them that way. They, it's in there. They don't know why they do it. They just knew to do it. But man is different. He creates. He thinks. Okay, and the second thing that man can do is communicate. Communicate. They can, you know, bark and grunt and growl and all this, but they can't. We can write books. We can sing songs. We have libraries that hold thousands and millions of books with words and visions and words that we say. We communicate right now. That's what we're doing. Only man can create. Only man can communicate. And the last thing that only man can do is he has a moral conscience. A moral conscience. Animals don't know, don't have a conscience. They don't know right and wrong. They have an instinct to live. If they have to kill to eat, they just kill. There's no moral morality there to it. So those things God created from the beginning, He made us special. Special from the beginning, He did. You know, and, and in Genesis, I've always said, He created the first marriage. I always say this when I marry a couple in my... Read, and I always say that God performed the first wedding in the Garden of Eden when He brought Eve unto Adam. God Himself performed the first wedding. He brought a woman to man and He married them. God created it that way. It didn't change 10,000 years later. It's still the same as it was in Genesis. And God knew what He was doing and He'll know it until the very end. But he performed it right here. Now, it says that Adam was put into a deep sleep. You ever read that? Deep sleep? Deep sleep, I believe, was when... That means that when God joins two people, it's more than just superficial. It's more than just beauty. It's more than just temporary. It's the subconscious. It's the inner line, inner being. It's the deep sleep. It's from down deep is where He joins us. And that's the way God created it. Man has destroyed it and tore it all to pieces. God put him into a deep sleep. He could have just waved his hand over him. He could have just snapped his fingers or whatever if he had fingers and created her waving his arm. But He put him into a deep sleep. That has to mean something. Adam was deep sleep and he was joining him with the woman of Eve here. Hey man, Genesis is just full of beautiful things for us to see that's, that it's in there. Hey man. You know, and I said, well, God created the family unit right here in Genesis. The father, the mother, the children, and the home. And the family is still the basis for human society. It is the basis for the human society. Yeah, you destroy the foundations of the, of the family and you'll disintegrate societies. What will happen? It will leave because there will not be a society without the family and the home. And God created that way from the very beginning. What did He create first? A home, a family, a man and a wife and children. That's where He started. He didn't create government and all these possessions and things. He created that first. Amen. You know... We hear a lot today about dysfunctional families. Dysfunctional families. We hear a lot of excuses. I saw this uh, one of my ID shows this other day. Uh, the man, he, he had been molesting this young boy for years. And well, first, of course, his first uh, plea was, you know, he came from a dysfunctional family. That it was done to him, which was awful, but still dysfunctional. But you know that God wrote the book on dysfunctional family. God wrote the book on dysfunctional family. Let's look at a few. Adam and Eve. 
Adam and Eve had a garden there, a beautiful garden. What do they do? They believe this old serpent that if you'll eat this, you'll be like the gods. They wanted pride. They wanted to be greater than they were. They wanted more than they had. It was dysfunctional. And also, their children, one of them killed the other one. Now, that's pretty dysfunctional to me. If you have two sons and one of them murders the other one, there's a dysfunction going on in that family right there. <laughs> and then uh, another one was Noah. What did Noah do? He spent 100 years there building that ark. Everybody criticizing. It said Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, which he did. He got on that boat. God delivered him from the flood, put him on dry ground. Uh, Noah started farming. He planted a bunch of grapes. And what did he do? He got drunk. He got drunk. Dysfunctional family. God is showing us a dysfunctional family. And he's showing us what to do with it and how to do it. How about uh, Jacob? Jacob was the, the trickster. Anything went just so he could get what he wanted. He would lie. He would cheat. He'd steal. He'd do whatever he could do to get what he wanted. And then until one day when he started wrestling with the, old, the angel there, the Lord. And he finally grew up and matured and decided that he couldn't make it unless he did God's will. And he said, I won't let go until you bless me. And after that, he was a new man. He was a new man. And then how about old Lot? Old Lot says, oh, I can take my family over there to Sodom. And I can stay away from all that filth because they got a lot of money. That's a good place to go. I can be prosperous over there. But I'm going to keep my family over here separated and they won't get involved. Hey, what about a dysfunctional family? His kids wouldn't even believe him. They laughed at him, called him a fool when he told them that God was going to burn Sodom. They wouldn't leave with him. His wife turned back and looked. She turned into a pillow of salt. And then, and then when he got away from it, he went to sleep. His daughters got him drunk. They uh, had incest with him and had two sons. My goodness, you talk about a dysfunctional family. Lot was eat up with it. But through it all, God shows us in Genesis these men, these people that God worked through them. They're people. They're sinners. They're sinners saved by grace. We're sinners saved by grace. We're not perfect. We're people. We're sinners and we're tempted by the devil. We're tempted with pride and selfishness and greed and these kind of things. These people were. He didn't paint a rosy picture. He put people out there that was plain to see and what they did and what happened in their lives so that we could see it. We could see what happened to them. He did that from the very beginning. You know, and another thing is the plan of salvation started here in Genesis. Thank God it did. The plan of salvation started right in Genesis. Genesis 3 and 24. 3 and 24, it says, So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims, that's angels, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. To keep them away from the tree of life. He didn't put the angels and the guards and the burning sword there to keep them from going back in the Garden of Eden. He put it there to keep them from going to the tree of life because there was going to be another way. There was going to be the plan of salvation. They couldn't just wander back and eat of the tree of life. It was different. They were provided with a tree of life and to live forever in the Garden of Eden, but they ruined that. Now then it was going to have to be a plan of salvation was going to come on. And he prevented them, but there would be another way. It tells us over in Revelation uh, 22 and, and a 2 that the, the tree of life is there. 
The water is running by. It's there and in, in the heaven is speaking about because the plan of salvation has been carried out and it's completed there. How do we get to the tree of life? How do we get there? John 14 and 6. That's where Jesus himself, he tells us, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh to the Father but by me. Nobody goes to the tree of life without going through the Son. That's what Jesus is saying here. They can't wander back into the tree of life, Adam and Eve. Nobody but they can go through Christ. That was the plan of salvation that was given us. Jesus is the way back to the tree of life. Amen. You know, there's a beautiful song I heard. It says, uh, I know a man who can. I can't take a heart that's broken and make it over again. But I know a man who can. I can't take a soul that's sin sick and make it white as snow. But I know a man who can. Some call him Savior, the Redeemer of all men. I call him Jesus, for he's my dearest friend. You, if you feel that no one can help you and your life is out of hand, I know a man who can. I can't walk on the waters or calm the troubled seas, but I know a man who can. <laughs> and I can't cause the blind eyes to open or make the lame to walk again, but I know a man who can. Some call him Savior, the Redeemer of all men. I call him Jesus, for he's my dearest friend. <laughs> if you feel that no one can help you and your life is out of hand, I know a man who can. Yes, I know a man who can. Do you know that man this morning? Do you know him this morning? I hope you do. Don't you leave this place until you know that man and that can. Hey, man. You know Adam before the fall. Have you ever thought about Adam, what he was like before the fall? Adam was perfect. He wasn't going to die. Think about him. He had ultimate knowledge. He had tremendous physical strength. He knew the world's mysteries because God put him in control of it. He named everything. He was the ruler of the world. Was Adam. Nobody since Adam except Christ has been that way and filled those shoes since then. Nobody. Nobody's come close. They can't accept for Christ. But Adam, think about him before the fall, what he was like. Man, what a species he must have been. What a perfect individual. He was going to live forever. He had a complete knowledge and strength. God let him know all the mysteries. Hey, man, won't that be wonderful in heaven when we get back to be the, to the, the new Adam? And we get to be what God meant us to be. When we get to be to the creation that we were supposed to be. That he first created man to be. How great that is and yet we wandered away. But God's going to bring us back to that someday. And we're going to be like Adam was. At that time, we'll come back to him. Amen. You know, in the, the five major characters that's in the Bible, what they represent, Noah. Noah, he represents a new life. A new life. He was carried from the old life. And into the new life. Salvation. He was saved is what he was done. Abraham. He represents faith. Faith. Not by works but by faith. Is how what he represents. Because he offered his son. His only son. His son that he loved so dearly. But he gave. Was going to give him as a sacrifice. He was going to give him. And he taught us saved by grace through faith. Was through Abraham. Isaac. He represents sonship. He shows us what it's like to be a child of God. His father loved him. It was his only son. He loved him dearly. He cared for him. He valued him. He was his son. His son. And that's what Isaac represents. Jacob is a picture of sanctification. Now, sanctification, this is what it means. The process of being made holy 
resulting in a changed lifestyle. When we're glorified, we're changed. We're changed into a lifestyle of a believer. There's a change that comes about. We're not the same one again. Joseph, he represents glorification. And that means to make better, to deliver, to place on a higher plane, to sit on the throne with God. When we're glorified, we're lifted up. We're made better. We're put up higher up is what it means. And he represents that for us. What's the secret of life? You ever heard anyone ask that? What's the secret of life or to life? The secret of life is a daily personal relationship with the living God. A daily personal relationship with the living God. If you have that, you're going to have the secret of life. A daily, not once in 40 years, like I was speaking of some of my relatives, I guarantee they tell me, yeah, 40 years ago, I was saved somewhere. I hadn't seen a thing in 40 years. You know, there's a change. You're glorified. You're sanctified that God does these. What's the secret of life? A daily, personal walk with Jesus Christ. And you'll be different, I guarantee you. Every one of us will if we do that. You know, the Bible, from the beginning of the Bible to the end, is a love letter. It's a love letter to the, to the human race. Uh, every bit of it is. You know, I, I'm going to, as we go along, there's certain times there's a chapter along that's real special to me. I'm going to call it a gold nugget. And the gold nugget in Genesis is chapter 24. Chapter 24. I want you to read it later. It's a long chapter. I think 66 or 67 verses. And uh, it's the longest one I think in the Bible. But it's a love story. But it's very special. It's very symbolic. That's why it's so special. That's why it's a gold nugget. Now, what it's about is getting a wife for Isaac is what it says. But what's wonderful about it, it's the picture of the Heavenly Father getting a bride for the Son. That's what it's showing us. It's the church. The church begins in Genesis. It's the bride that he's searching out for his Son. You, 24 is beautiful. You read it and look at the symbolic meaning of it. To look it up and to study the symbol. But just let me sh show you some of it. It's the picture, like I said, of a heavenly father getting a bride for his son. The Holy Spirit is calling people to Christ to be married to him. It's showing us that the bride is the father's love gift to the son. Can you imagine that? That the church is the love gift from the father to the son? That ought to make us say, whoopee, thank you, God, for the church. The church is important. The church is the Father's love gift. He's given it to the Son. Now, if you'll read John 17, 2, 6, 9, 11, and 12, and 24, I won't go into those, but that's where Jesus is praying that prayer, and he speaks about the ones that you have given me, Father. I will not lose. They will be mine forever. He's speaking about the church. The one that you gave me as a bride will be my bride forever. Forever is what he's showing in this, this gold nugget here. But Abraham is hunting Rebecca. Rebecca represents the church here. For Isaac represents Jesus Christ, the son right here. It, the, his bride would bring only glory to Christ on earth and throughout eternity. One day Christ will have the joy 
of presenting his bride to the Father. It tells us over in Hebrews 12 and Jude 24, it tells us that Jesus will one day, it says, with joy, with joy, present his bride to the Father, the church to the Father. Doesn't that make you feel good? That one day Jesus will feel joy to present his church, his bride, to the Father. To the Father. Amen. And that's the way he was using Rebecca here. You know, God had chosen Rebecca, but yet Rebecca had to give her, her uh, decision to go. God's plan, but man's choice. That's free choice. He chose her. But Rebecca still, the servant said, well, what if she doesn't go with me? She had a choice. You have a choice. God's not just going to make you. He chooses you, but he gives you a choice there to make it in his wisdom there. You know, it says that Isaac was awaiting the time to receive his bride. It says that God is sitting on the throne. He's waiting until when the Father says it's time, and he'll go to retrieve his bride. And that's what Isaac was doing. He was waiting for his bride to come to him all through the story there. Amen. You know, and it says that Isaac, on, in, in uh, verse 63, it says that Isaac met his bride at evening time. Evening time. This was when uh, a dark spiritual time, of time uh, uh, because it represents getting dark. So when the church is in a dark spiritual time, that's when God will return for his bride. That's what Isaac is doing here. It says he goes out to pray at evening time. At evening time. And then it says that the servant in verse 66, it says that the servant gave account to the master's son of all that he had done. What does the Bible say? We shall all stand and give an account. Amen. It's just full. It's just a gold nugget there in Genesis that teaches us of the coming of the church and the bride and God's coming again and salvation and His plan for mankind, His redemption and glorification of mankind. Amen. And all through the Bible it says, Many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called. That's sad, isn't it? Many are called, but few are chosen. But there's a better way. There's a better way, and God shows us. Genesis is the foundation for it. It sets for all that's going to follow, all that's going to follow. You know, and He tells us, though, to stand against the wiles of the devil over in Ephesians. And what does he tell us to do to stand against the wiles of the devil? He says, put on the whole armor of God. And he goes into detail. He says, the way you stand against the wiles of the devil, church, and the bride, is to, is to put on the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God is, is being here and worshiping, praying to God, a daily personal walk with God. Beautiful, beautiful. But it's telling us the message here. He had that salvation of God saving a soul. Be getting us a song, Alice. If you don't know the Lord this morning, don't leave here without Him. I told you about at the funerals, I see people walk out. Uh, their loved one dead. They don't know the Lord. They've never been saved and they're doing nothing about it. And you think, when in the world are you going to do something about it? Don't leave today. Do what God would have you to do. God bless.